Thank you once again for tuning in to another episode of Cut Talk Radio. Today we're back to you, uh, but before we get into it, we want to say thank you to everybody who's been supporting us up to this point, showing us love by liking the video, subscribing to the channel, commenting, all that good stuff. It means the world to us, and we appreciate you guys for motivating us and, and, and keeping us going. But yeah, today, again, like I mentioned, we got a new episode, and we got a brand new guest, which is always exciting. Today with me, I have somebody who uh, who deals with the subconscious quite a bit, an author, well, number one Amazon best-selling book. So let's, uh, come on, if you could please introduce yourself to the people and let them know who you are and what, a little bit about you. All right. Hi, everyone. Uh, I'm really honored to be a guest on Cut Talk Radio. So thank you all for the amazing work that you are doing here. Uh, basically, I am currently an author. I was born and brought up in India, New Delhi, India. And uh, that's the uh, capital of India. So it's uh, crowded, busy. I uh, come from a humble background. I came from a humble background, really. But uh, there are some techniques, some new learnings that I received in my life over the past three years that have tremendously changed everything for me. And uh, I'm a reader. I'm an avid reader. I love to travel. I love to read. I love going to the mountains. That's uh, my happy space. So, uh, yeah, pretty much reading and nature. That does everything for me. I'm a coffee lover. And uh, I recently wrote a book about reprogramming of the subconscious mind because uh, that is a topic which has changed my life tremendously in the past three years based on the readings uh, that I did from, uh, you know, many inspirational authors. And uh, that led me to write this book because uh, the point of knowledge is to share it. And uh, my motive is that even if one individual is able to you know out of all the people who are buying the book it's luckily at least in india it's a bestseller in the last few months but my motive is that even if one person is able to read the principles implement it in their lives and they are able to make a positive change i will consider it success so the mm-hmm. idea is to be able to share it with uh, everybody and uh, spread some smiles right right i think you used the uh, important keyword right there which is principles you know i think the principles of the teachings are reveal a lot about the teachings sometimes. Uh, but before we get into so you mentioned some things there that I want to ask. But before we get into we're going to do the quote of the day. So today's quote of the day comes from the amazing psych- psychoanalyst, psychiatrist, Carl Jung. And he said, One does not become enlightened by imagining figures of light, but by making the darkness conscious again. One does not become enlightened by imagining figures of light, but by making the darkness conscious. So, Kamal, uh, what do you have to speaking of the nature of consciousness? What do you have to say about confronting the darkness within you? I think it's uh, it's a beautiful quote. It actually encapsul- uh, encapsulates the entire uh, uh, you know concept of how by looking within we will be able to make some changes to our life because everybody uh, is looking for happiness, more presentness. I do not know any single individual, including myself, that has ever lived an entire day without any single unpleasant thought or feeling, right? 
I mean, we might have a great life, everything could be going perfectly, but there is something or the other that bothers us. So uh, there's obviously the there is darkness within. Uh, by consciously living it, by being able to make some conscious changes, by realizing that uh, the way out, like the title of my book, the mm-hmm. only way out mm-hmm. is in. That is uh, actually a very relevant title. So yeah, I I realized that by living consciously, by being able to work on yourself, by doing some internal work, we are actually able to create some great changes in our life instead of looking joy outside. Because I think human folly is that uh, we are always looking for happiness outside, you know, by desires, by any material things or anything else that we might want, love, healthy body, healthy relationships, most of all money. Uh, right. everything actually we are trying to look for joy outside but when one is able to work on the darkness within to look within and do some inner work uh, that is something that makes great changes maybe even the first part right which is like understanding the first part of the quote again let me say it one more time is like right the darkness part is important but also the first of what not to right one does not become enlightened by imagining figures of light so what does that mean? It means it means what sometimes what you imagine as the greatest happiness, enlightenment is really just a figment. But true happiness and enlightenment is actually through a through a great journey. It's not just how you imagine like, oh, if I just get all these riches and wealth and if I'm the king of the land then I'm happy. That's the figments of light that, that Carl Jung refu- re- excuse me, refers to. You know, it's like sometimes in, in dark moments we we uh say something like if i only do this i'll be happy uh, but deep down we know that it's actually through confronting ourselves in those deepest moments that where we find the happiness so it's like happiness actually comes through some like you mentioned right the suffering because to some degree humans are are we require some amount of struggle to because the struggle uh in some sense gives us purpose so again you know putting it all together and then kind of the principles is really what matters like you said and being able to to remove or uh, de- derive the principles and then apply them to your own circumstances is also another aspect of it, which you put beautifully. Uh, but yeah, so I want to go back to you. You know, we, right now you're an author. You know, but of course every author has their history, and as you mentioned, your history began in New Delhi. So can you tell us a little bit about mo- uh, mom and dad, and maybe how little Kamal came into the world? Yeah, sure. Uh, so basically, I was born in New Delhi, 1992, and uh, I was a bright student. I completed my schooling, and uh, after that, I intended to become a doctor. Like, you know, children have all those nice dreams, so I really wanted to become a doctor. Because I was a bright student, it seemed uh, easy, so I gave all those entrance exams, and, you know, I cleared most of them, and uh, just before... I could join one of the institutions. You know, I did my uh, BPT, BHMS, BUMS, many exams that I gave. I was able to clear not all of them, but most of them. When I was just about to join one of those uh, fine institutes to be, you know, doing my medical studies, that is when my uh, mother, she uh, got paralyzed, actually. She had a paralytic attack when her entire right side got paralyzed. And... Like I told you that, you know, I came from a humble background. So that made a huge uh, shift in our lives. I had to quit studying and uh, I entered into a job. 
So I was in a corporate job for about 11 years. I worked with one organization. I kept growing up, you know, basically I kept uh, going up the corporate ladder. So things were going fine. I was making money and, you know, basically uh, it was a mediocre life, but I was happy. Everything was going fine. Right. Um, Uh, Can I ask a question there? Because I feel like, all right, I'm sorry, what age was that 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 happened with mother? I missed it. It was it, it was eighteen. I was oh, 18. eighteen. I was about to uh, start my medical studies to you know become a doctor. Okay, okay. So, so that uh, was when it happened. Yeah. So I want I want to ask about that because I feel like there's some some uh, story behind that, right? Well, you grew up in New Delhi. So first of all, what what is the what is society like? I mean, we I love when we get an opportunity to ask these questions. What what is it? I mean, you you know what is it like there? What what is valued in society? I mean, you you, you mentioned that your mother was something of a matriarch in the family. Or at least seemingly so. She had some that you know real big role to where she when she got sick, it caused a detriment. So, you know, what is society like there, and what are some of the values you picked up as a young, uh, as a young person in New Delhi? See, uh, society is uh, it's actually divided. In some houses, you will see that only men are working. As still, uh, even in the twenty first century, in a lot of houses, you will see that only the men are supposed to be working, and uh, you know being the uh, earning the bread and butter and women take care of the house this still is there in many houses in india but uh, it was not like that in ours my mom and dad both were working so um and you know there was this there are certain set standards like uh, students do not really feel comfortable all the time to follow their passion uh, you know it's like uh, you're a good student so you either are gonna be a doctor or an engineer because uh, then, you know, that is only when you are a respectable member of the society. So that is the kind of uh, initial conditioning that I had. And uh, maybe it, that is uh, why I really wanted to become a doctor. So that's how it was that time. Yeah, and, I mean, uh, yeah, that's interesting because you mentioned, you know, that, I mean, that's children especially, right? We adopt the culture that we're surrounded by. So, I mean, it would make sense that you say, you know, well, we're raised to be engineers and doctors. So, you know, you, you, you kind of like accepted it without questioning it. But then when you got to the age that you could question it, you're like, wait, I don't really want to do this. So at the moment that you realize, hey, I don't really want to do this, uh, is that's after mom got sick? or? Yeah, because I realized that I started going to a random college. I was doing my, I started doing my zoology honors instead. I thought I'll at least complete my graduation, if not medical school. Uh, so I started going to college. I went for six months and then one random day from the college, I went for an interview because I realized that there is this, you know, inner responsibility. Mm-hmm. I knew that I wanted to be able to contribute because there was something going on in the family that time. And I just did not want to continue going to the college and spending money uh, instead of contributing. So I was like, okay, I'm going to do a job. So I went uh, to an organization one day I gave an interview I somehow got selected I do not understand till date how but <laughs> that happened so I got Things a job for a and uh, yeah I, I stuck there I mean I stayed with that same organization for 11 long years uh, they taught me a lot and uh, I kept growing up like I said the corporate ladder and uh, things were things were really good I was into corporate communications at the end I was when I left two two years ago I left finally when I did that, I was at a senior manager level in that organization. I was leading their corporate social responsibility and their uh, corporate communications. So these are the things I was taking care of. 
So it was a the program that you got accepted. It was like a, you said a corp, uh, communications. Yeah, that is that happened actually uh, later. I mean, not initially. I was initially taken in as a a sales agent. It was a, oh, okay. I was a sales agent when I was hired, and then seven or eight promotions later, I got this position. And how was these eleven years? Yeah, how was the transition from? You mentioned right, you were in academia for quite a while. So, what was the difference, or what was your initial reaction when you get into the corporate world? Was it scary? Was it like something new? Were you excited? Oh my God, it was scary as hell. It was so scary because I was young. I was uh, just uh, 18 that time. And uh, most of the people were elders. I was the youngest one in my team or in the entire office. Uh, the organization, they were very helpful actually. They made, you know, they helped me learn. So that was a good part. And, uh, but yeah, it was very scary. I mean, I, I couldn't imagine being there initially. It was like, okay, what have I done to myself? How would I survive? Mm -hmm. Initially, it was hard, but then you learn, you yeah. know, year after year, ultimately you learn. So yeah, that, that, that job taught me a lot. Yeah, I think it's it good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's good, especially for the young, younger generations and even older generations, just to, to understand that concept, you know, it's like, it's like the, the the Japanese philosopher Musashi. You know, he said, uh, he said, uh, Miyoto Musashi, he says, it may seem difficult at first. No, it may seem scary at first, but everything is scary at first. You know, it's like that's life. Everything, it, everything comes to you with an initial fear of the unknown. And then once you overcome the fear, it's followed by wonder and growth. So, you know, it's kind of like important to embrace that feeling more than you know, run away from it in some sense. And I think you're a case of that. So again, you go through, you mentioned seven or eight promotions. So how does the first promotion feel? You know, did that help you like get, gain confidence in that world? Actually, after getting the first one, that is when I realized it was even possible for me to, you know, reach at a certain level. Because again, something that I even talked about in my book, there is something called the conditioning that has happened, you know, as a child. When in the first eight years of age, a uh, child is just downloading data, right? There are no logical reasons. So uh, based on the conditioning I had, I wasn't very proud of what I was doing because I had mm. aspired to be a doctor and I was doing something mm. completely opposite. So I wasn't really proud. And uh, in the fifth year, after working for four years, in the fifth year, I got my first promotion from the first level executive. I was promoted to a subject matter expert. And that is when I realized that, okay, this could work. And then year after year, I kept getting promotions. I mean, first one uh, is what it happened naturally. I wasn't even expecting it. I wasn't hoping for it. I wasn't trying for it. Uh, but when it happened, that is what made me realize that, okay, there's a long way to go. Right. And you, that's a very important point. You know, it's like, I think in most cases, again, like you mentioned, right, when you get thrown into adulthood, you are expected to have some understanding but like you mentioned right your understanding is built off the first 18 years of adolescence essentially so or like the first 18 years of young and into adulthood but then it's like well you haven't really thought deep about things you've really just made impulsive decisions and most of them have been guided by people who have authority over you so it's like you finally have authority over yourself and it's like sometimes you identify your purpose with the purpose that people have instilled on you and then like you mentioned right it, it kind of dictated your perspective where it's like even though you are doing what you really want to or you're, you're you're doing your thing you know you're 
you're kind of following your heart in some sense, but it still feels wrong because you've been conditioned with a certain perspective. So it's interesting, right? It's interesting for people to hear that because, and I think it's important for them to hear that because I, I think people may confuse those feelings. And I've even myself have confused those feelings sometimes where like, you know, I was on a self-destructive path. So anything that was good was perceived as bad, you know, and I think uh, people need to be aware in those moments of exactly why they're looking at it the way they're looking at it. And, uh, you know, that's an important point there. So once you start moving up, you know, you become a valuable member of the corporation. Uh, is, was there a certain like level that you got to, uh, let's say that that uh, that helped you achieve uh that understanding of the consciousness was it at some moment in the corporate world or was it the exit from it that really helped you understand actually it, it was actually it was uh entirely the opposite i mean a cop the corporate world taught me a lot of things but not related to this this entirely came from the reading because uh while these corporate jobs they pay you well and uh, they teach you a lot but there is also a lot of you know work-life balance issues and stress then uh I got married in between, so after marriage, handling uh, the house and the office work together, it, it uh, you know, basically uh, tends to make you reach a stage where you want to learn how to manage things. So all of this consciousness and learning about this stuff, this all came from reading. It had nothing to do with the job, that was uh, purely intellectual stuff. But uh, all this I learned from reading. I have always been an avid reader, I loved the reading. And uh, that is where all the knowledge came from. Cool. So, so, you, so, what what experience did you get from the job? Though, because I imagine you know, although you do, you know, like the corporate world does tend to be very soulless, I guess you could say, because it's really just a bottom line business. You know, it's more about we have a quota or we have some goal and we have products that we have to sell, and we don't really consider people in the, in the equation. We just, as long as we can move units. And at the end of the month, we can have this report that says we made so much progress. That's really all that matters. It doesn't matter who we hurt or what we have to do to get there. And and I think that's a lot of the the, the criticism in in today's society and today's markets is that we're willing to to really undermine the values and the principles of humanity in order to to fulfill our greed uh, for things like money, to fulfill our greed for things like like self righteousness like you know people are willing to call themselves righteous but commit evil acts i mean it's, it's, it's an interesting thing and i think it is it does come from the separation from the conscious where we we become yeah. so intellectually stimulated that we think that ah, i always forget i need to figure this out because i always reference it in the podcast but i forget who exactly drew this chart but somebody one time they drew this chart and it made so much sense to me it was like the axis what is this the x-axis here was was uh uh intel int intellect you know intelligence and then the y-axis mm -hmm. here was perspective and then you know he cuts the the box into four and he says well you see when you have only intellect at the very top but you have no perspective what you create is tyranny what you create is arrogance because you just have somebody who just knows a lot and because they know so much they think that they can just over my they can just you know go over everybody else because it's like and now i'm smarter than you you're stupid so let me just make the decisions you know and then it's like but, right and then it's like but somebody who has too much perspective and not enough intelligence they'll just be too like they'll be nihilistic because they're just looking at everything and they're like oh well all i see is negative things you know they'll be too you know they're kind of overthinking the situation in some sense you know but then in, if you get closer to 
building some intellectual foundation and then also applying the perspective, the human perspective to it. Within that equilibrium, you start to reach closer to true knowledge, which is what people call wisdom, which is like this idea of not only knowing things, but also being able to apply the universal knowledge within the concepts and at the principles, in other words, which is what you, I think you were explaining in the book. And, you know, I think you're, you're, you're just explaining it very well. And also, um, you know, uh, well, um, based on what you said, I'm sorry, I hate to interrupt no, you. No, go ahead, based please. on what you said, I really want to add that, you know, smartness has become an illusion. A lot of people are like, okay, what, what is smart? Uh, we are usually calling ourselves smart based on the uh, information, the number of facts that we are able to, you know, uh, save in our memories or our brain. So, okay, I read a particular book. I am able to memorize or remember these many facts about life, about the world, about history, about mm -hmm. anything. So that makes me smart. But uh, it's actually just an illusion because one has to realize that we can learn from anybody and everybody. We are actually capable of learning from anybody and everybody. And that is only possible when you have that perfect thing in place, like you explained with that graph. It is only possible if you only keep growing intellectually, you will be missing out on the actual point because only when you have that perspective, it will make any real difference to the life. Otherwise, we'll just be following people, just be following masses. So, yeah, I, I completely uh, agree with this uh, graph idea that you said. And also, right, because when you look at it, and you, you, you said it perfectly, right? Like, we're just, all we're doing is just creating some standard. Like, okay, if you pass a test and you're smart because that's that's our standard okay but but that's a very superficial understanding of the the knowledge well why in the first place did people even start to write things down to pass it down why because as the essence of man right left to his own devices in nature before we became these conscious too smart for our own good arrogant humans we were just simple creatures that passed down stories you know, when when you go and you learn how to climb the tree, you bring your whole tribe and you say, hey, guys, look, this is how you climb the tree. And then, you know, if the lion comes, we climb the tree and, and we get the advantage, you know, and or the fruit is up there. We climb and we get the fruit and and now we feed the village. It's like that's the whole purpose of knowledge. It's very basic principles. It's the knowledge gets more complex, but the principle still remains as simple as ever. We we want to pass knowledge down no matter how much or or how great or if the knowledge is fly to Mars or if it's how to cut an orange open, it's the same thing. We just want to pass down how to do it to the next generation. So we can't get too caught up yeah. in the knowing itself. It's like what's more important than knowing is understanding to the point that you can communicate it. And that's that's yeah, what I think yeah. beautiful, well, the most beautiful thing about like science, like my favorite science communicators like Bill Nye, for example, like uh, like mm -hmm. uh, like Dr. Uh, oh, I'm forgetting his name right now. Just so many astrophysicists and and no, Dr. Neil deGrasse Tyson as well. I mean, just so many different people that I could just think of uh, that just, you know, they're good at making very complex, very complex concepts. And and if you look at if you look at them as an equation, you might you might faint because the equations like this long and this many characters and you're just like, oh, my God, I don't know what that is. But it's like but if I tell you, well, no, no, this is just what happens when you bounce a ball. You see, there's so many forces acting upon it and then you got gravity and then it hits the ground and there's this action reaction. And then it's like, yeah, it's like but there's some beauty in knowing that. But it's like it's just understanding the concept. It's like the numbers explain the values but the concept explains what's happening and and we got to explain what's happening more than 
trying to be so strict about what we write down, you know, and I think that's something that you're tapping into there. Uh, so you mentioned, uh, you know, we're going up the corporate ladder and we're getting to the top and you're, I imagine you're meeting people, right? And maybe you're, uh, were you meeting people that were very successful and wealthy or whatever the case, but you found that they weren't as satisfied? Actually, I think that is what I have seen with uh, almost everybody I might have met. And uh, because uh, uh, there's a problem, uh, everybody is trying to, you know, we call those things our desires. And uh, it is also what happens when people are trying to, you know, manifest the, those desires using the principles of the law of attraction or reprogramming the subconscious mind that I talked about. Uh, even there it happens. A lot of people come up and they say, so, you know, I followed all the techniques, but they didn't work out for me. Why? So what people are missing to understand is they think that it is their actual desire. Because, but what manifests is your real desire. Do you even know if it is your desire or you're just doing it for somebody else? For example, uh, this is just my favorite example that I you know, always try to use. Uh, suppose you want to buy the latest iPhone, anything, uh, maybe the latest iPhone, okay? Now, you need to ask yourself two questions when you try to buy anything that you want. First question is, if the thing that you're trying to buy, if everybody else that you know has the same thing already, even if, suppose you have a house help, the guy who's bringing the milk in your house, anybody, anybody and everybody that you might know has the same thing already, the same iPhone model, model that you're trying to buy. Do you still want it? And the second thing is, uh, if the thing that I'm trying to buy, it will be limited to myself. I will not be able to put up on my social media. It will not be my Instagram story. Nobody other than myself will be aware that I bought this thing. Do you still want it? So when you ask yourself these two questions, you really get to know if uh, you want uh, the thing for yourself or if you're doing, just doing it for others. Because then it is not your true desire. And I think that is what happening most with the world today. Because the... Uh, we have all these social media channels and all these places where a lot of comparisons are happening. And then we tend to, you know, just get this a FOMO, you know, fear of missing out. And uh, we end up uh, buying things and doing things and get, okay, buying this car is going to make me happy. Buying that house is going to make me happy. So it is short-term happiness. And uh, for some time it feels like, okay, uh, I have achieved it now. But then there's the next goal. So till that time, we keep doing that. And I think those are the, all the kind of people I have met, including myself. Uh, till, uh, uh, you know, uh, if I exclude the last two, three years, it has been me as well, just the same. So that is how it always feels like. You achieve a particular thing, you buy a particular thing, and that is going to make you happy. But it is not inner pleasantness. The inner satisfaction is not there. So we just uh, keep looking. Yeah, no, yeah, and you said that perfectly. And I think, you know, uh, that reminds me of another good example of, of when you see this very obviously, right? You know, you mentioning how, like, you know, you should probably ask yourself these things before you buy anything. And and then not only that, but then, you know, you see this very obviously, like on social media, you mentioned when people say, ha ha, I have this thing and nobody else has it. Like, see, you only bought it because nobody had, like, you didn't really buy it because you wanted it. You bought it because you could, so you yeah. could say you bought it. You, you, There's no value 
the value isn't putting other people down. So you're just going to be miserable when, when, the, when all said and when all is said and done, you bought it on the principles of thinking you're better than other people. So those are those principles disintegrate because they have no actual value. So once that goes away and you realize you're not better than everybody, well, then you just spent a million dollars for nothing. So now you're going to go into an existential crisis. So it's like, all right, you see, well, now you see how that dissolves so easily. But um, yeah, good example. And then um, also that, you know, you brought up something interesting there, and that is here. And I, I can say this coming from somebody who lives in, within the United States, right? The what the West, the great West, you know, the Western civilization that the, that the entire world is emulating right now. You know, the great capitalist system. And you know what capital and I'm not going to and I'm not going to criticize capitalism at all. Right. It's a system that we live in and the free market, I believe in dearly. But the thing is that what you have to again Everything comes from a lack of awareness, number one. Carl Jung said this perfectly. If you're unaware, well, every conclusion is false because you're, you're not even considering your reality. So any conclusion that you come to is, is lacking is already phallic, phallicable because it's, it's not based in reality. So first of all, be aware of your situation. Yeah. And that, that's what you mentioned about when you're buying something, be aware of why you're buying it. Be aware of your situation. Be aware of it's a necessity or just pure desire, pure desire for some social status. Um, in other words, but, um, okay. The West, the West capitalism, one of the poisons that exists within capitalism is the consumerism. And what I mean by that is the consumeristic nature of advertising. For example, in order for a corporation like Nike, Adidas, uh, Puma, anything, I can guarantee you 90% of households in America have either one garment that either says Nike or Adidas on it. And the reason is because We've we've psychologically implemented this into our data where it's like, I have to wear Nike. I have to wear Adidas. If I'm not, then I'm not cool. I'm not, you know, I'm not yeah. wearing the good clothes. I'm wearing the cheap clothes. And luckily for me, my mother always raised me humbly. So, you know, I, those brands never meant anything to me, luckily. But I, I also fell victim. I mean, I still to this day, and that's the thing. Uh, and this is what I love so much about the teachings of Buddha. I'm not a religious person, but I get a lot of wisdom from religious scripture. And and Buddhism, you know, this idea of, uh, is it is it Dukkha? I believe it might be Dukkha or, or Anika. I forget. The three marks of existence, Anika, Anatta, and, and Dukkha. The, but I forget which one is the impermanent self. You know, it's like if I see Kamal right now and I see Kamal in 10 minutes, I'm going to think it's the same Kamal. Because I see the same face, I see the same smile, she laughs at the same jokes, but Kamal has had 10 minutes of new experience, so she is not the same person, and even the second from now, she's not the same person, but we like to, yeah. we like to, for the sake of our sanity, we like to tell ourselves we're one thing, because we want to believe we're one thing, because if we're not one thing, well then we're everything at once, and if we exist in that state, well then we're nothing at all, and then the truth of chaos just comes over us, and that's when you get anxiety, and that's when you start to feel the real, rea the realness of existence, which is the impermanence, which is the suffering, which is, you know, all the real things that exist that we numb through consumerism, that we numb through addictions, that we numb through buying things and money and things like that. We numb ourselves to this awareness because we know that it's fearful, it's full of fear, when you have to be real with yourself and say oh, well, this is the reality of the situation, then you have to make action to fix the reality. And that's something that we so desperately avoid because we know that we know that we we are accountable for our reality, you know? And that's why we like to say things like, oh, well, the corporations are the reason that I'm poor or the, cor or the government is the reason that things are like this. And it's like, I, I mean, 
they create the policies, but who who elects the government? The people elect the government. Who buys the products that the corporations advertise? The people do. And then they say, oh, well, they put ads everywhere and they do this. Well, who's choosing to consume the ads and to buy into the principles of the ads? The people are making yeah. these choices. They're making a conscious decision at every moment. And the moment that you say it's not my conscious decision, you're, you're lying to yourself, number one. And you're also giving away your consciousness to the greater system, which is, well, then you're not no longer an individual. And the most important thing about being a human is being an individual. And, uh, you know, yeah, it is so easy to blame others. The easiest thing is to blame others for your situation. And what is a brand anyway? It's basically just a collective perceptive a perception of certain people, right? So a group of people meet today and say, okay, this is the best brand. And now you all start following it. And then it becomes a standard. And then you know, till the time you have that particular bag, those particular Nike shoes or whatever, till the time you do not have it, you think that you are not good enough. So we need that kind of validation from the people around us. So right. we are choosing for ourselves. We are the ones who are, again, you know, even in this manner, we are the ones who are creating our own reality. We are choosing to spend that much money on those things that will just, uh, you know, uh, make us look happy in front of others, but they are not actually making us happy. So it is always a choice. And if everybody was able to learn to live consciously, have conscious thoughts, make conscious decisions, then uh, it would be a very different world. We'll be living in a very different world, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and again, that, and you know what? I think a lot of it comes too from this idea that that somehow we can find a way and just live in utopia. And I think that's one of the greatest delusions of humans as well. Is like utopia as a state doesn't exist. It's not like you can just put in a certain rules and certain things, and people do certain things, and then you just leave it and and beautiful. No, no, no. Mm -hmm. The nature of the universe. Look at a telescope. Look at the sky. Do you see anything calm at all? Is anything calm? Go look. Go, go to the ocean. Look at the waves. Is anything in this world calm? As, uh, look at the wind. Look at the leaves. The leaves move. Is anything in this world calm? Does anything have a constant state? No, nothing in this world has a constant state. Everything is evolving. Everything is moving. Everything is growing. Everything is deteriorating. Things are brought into existence and then through entropy they're taken out. Energy manifests and then it's absorbed and used. And then it's it's reinvested. And that's the thing. That's what life is. Life is constant evolution, constant recreation, constant understanding, and constant consciousness as for a human. You know, it's like creating exactly. Yeah, creating the order, but at every moment creating it. Not just not this just reminds me of mm -hmm. sorry, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was saying that this uh, what you were saying, I got excited by it. It actually reminds me of a beautiful analogy. Uh, you know, basically, we say that everything is moving, like you said, everything is energy. So um, what are we even certain about? There are a lot of misconceptions. People say this doesn't work, that doesn't work, law of attraction, or, you know, all these things must be hopes. It's easy to say that. But what I like to ask is, so, you know, there was a time until 16th uh, century, I guess, uh, we had this idea from science that uh, Earth was the center of the universe. That was the geocentric theory. Then... Uh, at a later point in time, everybody got to know that, no, that is not true. Mm -hmm. And Earth is actually revolving around the sun. Now we know that just like the sun, there are billions of other stars in the galaxy. And uh, this is one galaxy, but the science, you know, suggests that there are hundreds of billions of other galaxies. And all this, we are talking about one universe, which is the observable universe. But there are possibly innumerable number of universes that right. we are not even aware of. So, you know, Sitting in that one universe out of the innumerable ones that could be there, that might exist in that one galaxy, 
one planet, one solar system, one planet Earth, one country, one city, one state, one house, and I'm just one tiny human being, just like everybody else. And we claim to know that we really know it all. Anything that we do not have an evidence of right now, it must be untrue, you know, because uh, this doesn't seem possible. How could it be possible? I do not see an evidence. So, uh, where is the scientific proof? So how do we even know? There is a lot that we did not know before, which have now be, you know, been proven to be right. So I think this is the peak of human arrogance, where we are really not uh, able to believe things that we do not see a certain evidence of, because the possibilities are endless. The human mind is uh, such endless possibilities. Right, and I think it's, and it's, 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 yeah, it's arrogance, definitely. But and again, you you put it amazingly, like one out of one out of one and 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 what I encourage people always is go into Google. I know everybody loves Google. You love to look up articles and stuff like that. So just Google, just Google what is my what is my cosmic address, and they're gonna tell yeah. you right there, Earth. You're in the arm of the milk, this arm of the Milky Way galaxy, in this super yeah. cluster of you know, and it's like, and then you're one of eight billion people on this planet. And somehow you think that you know everything like and, yeah. and you're and you're you're coming after who God knows how many thousands years of humanity already. And you think you just okay. figure things out. But I think that's just the mind's way of again, like we so we so easily pick the path of, of least resistance and the path of least resistance is let me build my reality as fast and as strictly as I can, because then I'm comfortable. Because then, then I can say, oh, well, I know what's right and I know what's wrong and nobody could tell me wrong. And I think that comes from, again, this idea that, like, people become too attached to even their beliefs. Where it's like, you know, if, if you break down somebody's beliefs, they feel like you're attacking them. As a, yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, real threat. Like, like existential threat. Yeah. And it's like, that's it's not what's entirely happening. entirely based on belief systems. Everything is based on belief systems. Because, like I was saying, not the first 18 doll, I was saying first eight years of our life. Uh, there are three E's that I talked about, elderly, entertainment and environment. So, you know, from these three E's, uh, we are receiving a lot of data. We are just downloading and because our brains that time are still manipulable and we are unable to contest. So a lot of information is being downloaded in our minds by sometimes even by good intending adults, like our parents, people who actually want good for us. But they have certain belief systems and they are also instilling it in our minds. So uh, that is when we uh, create certain belief systems like, okay, uh, money doesn't grow on trees or uh, love always hurts or I will not be good enough. You know, like I'll give you an example. Suppose if a child is always uh, scolded or ridiculed for not getting good, uh, you know, uh, good academic results or good uh, numbers on an exam then probably the parents are telling him, okay, if you do not, uh, you know, pass well, if you do not do well in school, you will never have a good job. Now that child, suppose wow. is 25 years old, and this child doesn't even remember that conversation. And it was said by good intending adults just to be able to motivate the child. But in the subconscious, it is there. It is a belief system. I am not worthy of a good job. So if I give an interview and if I get rejection, the first thing my subconscious will do is it will start pulling up all the files wherever in my life I faced rejection because all the memories, all the beliefs, everything is stored there in the subconscious mind. So it is just going to pull out everything 
and it will make you remember that you are not worthy you are simply not worthy so when we believe something like that those our minds are impregnated with those beliefs we remember them or we do not but if they are there so i think the only way is uh, for us to be able to reprogram them to avoid the limiting beliefs because the world is not going to work the way you want it to at least your own mind should so you know i i always like to say that we uh, you know have the most sophisticated technology in the world within ourselves that is the human mind mm-hmm. but uh, we just do not know how to use it right <laughs> because it's like a supercomputer and we are trying to handle it with a wrench we we do not know where the keyboard is So I think that is what happens, and that is what is caused by limiting beliefs. Plus, I think you know something very fascinating there. The way you say it is like right, right, right. It's like where the this brain is old. This brain has already gone through so much evolution, million years of evolution. But we're new because we just get born, and then we're babies, and then yeah. you know we we and we're still the same primitive humans, the same species. Mm-hmm. It's just that we've we've. I mean, physically, we're the same species. You know, maybe we've made some evolutionary changes here and there. You know, but I mean, not in not in such a drastic sense. You know, really, we're we're the same beast. In other words, it's just the the machine operating within us has evolved because for some reason the brain is like an instant evolution machine, which is very strange. Like it's just, uh, but it's not even the brain; it's the consciousness in the brain. Because every animal has a brain, but just we have this consciousness of the brain, which is. I mean, that's where a lot of the divine ideas come from, and I mean, hopefully science will explain that over the years. But, but I tend yeah. to believe that there is some divine element to it. You know, there is something greater than us, and I, I don't mean to speak mystically, but I mean, you know, there there is some universal law to some sense. Even even universe, even the nature of the universe itself is based on some fundamentals. So, I think we overthink ourselves as complicated beings when really we're just a product of the universe. And the universe follows laws. Therefore, it's only right to believe that everything within our existence would also follow those fundamental laws, and that's why we right. can come to some understanding. Versus, versus we see when you don't have any understanding, or when you have no faith in anything, and you just have this chaotic belief system. Then we see these radical behaviors. We see very, very, you know, strange activities. We see people who do things that we. Somehow we know that they're wrong. Like you know, when you know when somebody kills somebody, I mean that's wrong. Like that's like the the greatest evil in the world. We I mean we just know that. Like we just somehow nobody had to teach you that. Yeah. You just know it. You just know that it's not right to to hurt somebody on purpose. Yeah. You know you know that, and that's and that's underrated, and we're unaware of that sometimes. It's like no, no. You have it in you to know. You just have to really make the effort to bring it out of yourself and and use it at every moment and say, hey, if I don't feel right about this, then maybe I'm I'm maybe I'm you know misaligning my principles or something like that, or I'm compromising myself, you know, or something like that. And I think, you know, I think that's an interesting thing, and I think it's good for people to think about that. Uh, definitely, you know, especially yeah. in that conversation in that context of. Of you know, and right now we're going through it as a society here in the West. You know, we're going through this uh, revolution of ideas because, again, when you become arrogant with so much intelligence, and you see this on both sides of the argument, really, it's like everybody wants to use scientific, objective facts with no substance behind the the information. It's like 
you could just throw a biological factor, just throw a science of fact, and it's like, and you think that's enough. And it's like, that's not enough, especially if you can't even explain why it is to begin with. So it's like, you really got, you know, just looking in a book and, and reading something and reading it back doesn't mean nothing. You know, because those, those, yeah, those words were written with some, some translation in them. You know, it was the uh, translation of the idea into these words. So you've got to do exactly. the reverse. Yeah, you've got to do the reverse engineering and get back to the idea, not just take the words. So I don't know, but yeah. Um, a lot of people are all, uh, on this. So what you said, a lot of people these days are asking this question that you know, what if AI takes over? And uh, basically, there's a lot of conversations these days happening around this topic that uh, you know uh, about the increase in artificial intelligence. I think, uh, I honestly, in one sense, I believe that. The increase in artificial intelligence is not the concern here. The decrease in human intelligence is. Because uh, forget about the artificial intelligence, there is a lot that we have to identify within ourselves. And if we were able to do it, if we were able to understand our own minds, understand our capabilities, understand our consciousness, then uh, probably we, we just have nothing to worry about. So it's the decrease in human intelligence that we really want to worry about if at all oh yeah thomas Sowell said it he said um he said it's interesting that in an age of of artificial intelligence we're creating artificial stupidity which is like yeah that's exactly what we're doing we're just you know we're making the robots smarter and the people stupider like what the heck that's not like that's yeah. that's counterproductive because the people need to be as smart as the robots or they'll just be tricked by, by the robots like you know and then it's like <laughs> And I, and I don't mean like I robot get tricked, but it's like you know you're not gonna understand what the technology is for. You know you're gonna misuse the technology if if your if your understanding is limited. You know oh oh and that's that's all right. And what I say the reason why I say that is too, and why and why perspective is important in the AI conversation, because somebody who's cynical and they have so much intelligence can be very dangerous with AI. You know because they they yeah. will they will impose that technology upon other people in a way to prove their their point and we see this people do yeah. this people do this people use bots against people people use um you know bots on each other they scam each other they use i mean there's this bot thing has been around for a while and all a bot is is a human exploiting something that they know in other people so it's like again that's just it manifests itself with too much intelligence because we want to be superior because everybody just wants to be superior to others but there is one thing that we forget uh, I mean, a lot of people do not know that our own consciousness, I mean, our own subconscious mind doesn't have any idea of consciousness other than ourselves. So suppose if I'm today talking bad about anybody, I'm saying, uh, I'm planning bad things about somebody, I want to hurt somebody, I want to do any sort of violence or create a bot that will hurt somebody. Uh, my own subconscious mind has only one idea of consciousness and that is myself. It doesn't know anybody else. Your subconscious mind only knows you. So when you are creating all those negative thoughts about somebody, your mind doesn't know that. It thinks that you are talking about yourself. And what people do not realize is that by engaging in those, uh, you know, violent activities of any kind or, uh, you know, any ill intent, any kind of ill intent as small as possible or as big as possible, we are just uh, creating those things for ourselves they will probably manifest in your own life at the end of the day because your subconscious mind is extremely powerful, but it has no idea of consciousness other than yourself. So you are just telling all those things to it about yourself. We see this when we watch movies, right? I mean, it's a very good example. Suppose you're watching a horror movie. 
you know that it is a movie you know it is made for entertainment and you know that you are choosing to watch it and everything that is happening and there is fiction right but still when a ghost comes over from the back or you know something like that happens or there's a sound then you just jump over right mm-hmm. some reaction happens so why did that happen because you knew that you were watching fiction it happens because that subconscious mind of yours uh, that critical filter while watching television is missing between your conscious mind and your subconscious mind so the mind did not perceive it as fiction it perceived this as truth because your mind is powerful but it is uh, it's an unquestionable servant basically it is powerful but it doesn't understand the difference between what is imagined and what is real so you imagine bad for others you are manifesting it for yourself bottom line uh yeah beautiful and you know i'm i'm actually amazed because you know it's interesting everything that you're saying and i, I think you should read carl jung because everything you're saying is exactly carl and that's where carl jung left off before he passed away and these are some of the teachings i think that we need to uh reintroduce into society see he breaks down the conscious self into three levels let me here and you'll probably find it's exactly what you're saying three levels you have the consciousness which is this reality right the interface right i look i see things okay there's a cup here got this soda here i mean you know i got this pen here paper nice consciousness i see kamal consciousness beautiful okay we're comfortable with that we like that we like to see things we like to know things you know we cool we like that consciousness all right level two the personal unconscious so the personal unconscious is what you mentioned right when you're not considering other people when you're just me right here let me close my eyes well what am i thinking well i'm thinking right now here i'm with kamal you know we're having a good conversation this is cool i mean i feel fulfilled we're doing something good so there's some unconscious good going on there right and then of course i'm thinking of of what you know what ideas might come up from that okay that's the unconscious and even deeper in that and then all right the third level this is where this is this is the most controversial idea that he ever said the the collective unconscious which is this idea that the brain it's so it's what the it's what we've been calling the evolution of the brain which is the brain itself has picked up the wisdom of you know the genetics that we pass down that creates the next brain and the next human that we've continuously passed down through our lineage and you know it's just evolving 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 to this brain that we have today that brain did not just carry the physical the physical of the brain it also carried all the ideas that we've had before so all the ideas that we've had before all this knowledge the knowledge of the romans the knowledge of the the judeo christians the knowledge of the ancient africans the knowledge of the the native all this knowledge that from the ancestors has been passed down into what is known as the collective unconsciousness and this becomes most apparent when we dream because when we dream what we do is we visit the unconscious without the conscious awareness that we can, we can't have i mean yeah. no 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 the conscious without the conscious control we have the awareness but no control so what we see is the same ideas but they're projected in images that we don't control so what you get is these crazy dreams right sometimes you get like you know like you and and this is why uh carl jung and sigmund freud were so deep into the dream because the dream reveals to us ourself the dream reveals what we don't want to think about it reveals things that we hide it reveals things that it reveals ideas in new ways right like sometimes you'll have this crazy dream and you'll say what the heck why did i have that dream you know or maybe even you'll have a dream and you'll say wait that reminds me of something or maybe i had that dream because of this and that's the collective unconsciousness just symbolize what it what it oh, it's so deep it's really a deeper understanding you got to read so much about this but it's like the idea is even even if you think about art right 
and and what is art right it's it's the culture of a society it's the way we are we express our feelings within the society at the time for example music right music is usually a byproduct of society you know if if society's happy and joyful we make happy and joyful music if society's happy and joyful we make joyful art we make joyful tv we make joyful this joyful that right now we see a lot of negativity in society so you see a lot of negative art you see a lot of reactionary paintings paintings you know dystopian paintings you hear music that's very negative and and what that is saying is that we're symbolizing the collective unconsciousness it's being symbolized and it's being expressed and it's coming out to us in art and the thing is that art tells you how you're feeling without you even understanding it right and, because everything happens in the imagination first right and it's like you yeah, might it, yeah. and sometimes you think you're drawing a cloud because you want to draw a cloud but you don't realize that the purpose of the cloud is to give some meaning to the image so it's like you know that's yeah. how deep it goes and that's how much of a deep awareness of everything you do has to be you know you really got to be careful with every step you take and and everything that's presented to you you got to break it down piece by piece and you know again I, i didn't mean to go into such a rant but you know you just you just inspired that idea of you know the way you're explaining it is pretty much the same conclusion that past psychoanalysts have came to and people still come to to this day and we get there and we wonder like well if it's so apparent then why doesn't everybody get it and the thing is that it's not just getting it it's it's getting it and then and then constantly understanding it and then you know re- keep applying it every day it's not it's why again it's not utopia yeah uh uh-huh. yeah repetition is very important while applying these principles in life because see uh we have years of programming which are already there which are our limiting beliefs and everything now if i'm trying to change make a change in my life in any one area health career uh you know success love money anything that i'm trying to change in my life and i have a lot of limiting beliefs about that particular area it is not going to go out go off in one day you know it's not going to happen immediately so i say one affirmation and it just goes off it doesn't work like that it has to be repeated repetition is important consistency is important knowing your actual desires being aware living consciously is important so that is why a lot of it is uh, you know it sounds complicated because there are a lot of techniques to learn there are uh, different ways to reach there but the fact is raul that i really want to put it out there that these techniques they do not manifest your mindset manifests at the end of the day we are trying to learn these techniques even i have mentioned all of those in my book the ones that i have experienced myself but the pers- purpose of these techniques is to be able to make you reach a stage where you have that particular kind of mindset because your actual mindset your thoughts how you feel about yourself and your life that is what is going to show up ultimately so your mindset is what is going to manifest and your thoughts are what are going to shape your reality at the end of the day so you know repeat uh, repetition is uh, is the key component here really it's not something that you get immediately but what uh, one can do every day i think other than all the techniques that you know it takes maybe hours and days and sometimes years to get a uh, hang of it but one thing that everybody can do immediately is just practicing as much gratitude as possible because gratitude is the greatest multiplier when you are already happy for something that you have there is no other uh, possible outcome but for it to get multiplied so that is what we can start doing in the it brings great success yeah i think gratitude is important for sure uh yeah so let me see 
Uh, oh, so I was going to say, uh, well, I want to talk about your book before we get into the seven questions, but before uh, a little bit more into the book. But before we get into your book, I would like to ask if you, because you mentioned you're quite the reader. So do you have any books that you recommend to the audience before we start talking about your own book? Maybe uh, some novels they can get into. Uh, I think the a very basic one, uh, The Power of Subconscious Mind by Joseph Murphy. It's a famous one. A lot of people might have read it or might have not, but I think this is it's a good place to start. Uh, I will obviously recommend my mine as well. But yeah, to be honest, that is one book that inspired me a lot. And uh, for people who are uh, even a little bit into spirituality or mysticism or these things, I recommend Inner Engineering. uh that is by an indian guru sadguru inner engineering that is also one that has taught me a lot so these two books i like the most awesome uh so all right so let's talk about your book a little bit here so again you mentioned the inspiration being you know you went through the experience yourself you know you have quite a bit of experience quite a bit of success you've seen you've been through tragedy you came from humble beginnings and uh so what is the desire that drives you to write a book like this Uh, the only one that I shared in the beginning. See, uh, the success of the book, the money, everything else is just an additional bonus. It's just an outcome. Fame, money, everything is secondary. First and foremost thing is, if even a single person is able to make a change to their lives, reading what I have written, uh, I am going to consider it success. I just want to be able to share it with everybody and see if uh, people can do something. With your lives, uh, reading the principles that I have outlined, I'll I'll really be honored and consider it success if that happens. So that's the idea. Awesome. So um, so you mentioned you know gratitude being one of the things that you're telling people to practice. Uh, is there any other excerpts that you'd be willing to share without giving too much away from the book? Uh, okay. So you know I will not get into the a uh, lot of practices that takes time to learn because that uh, you know you can one can read in the book. But there is one thing that you can do if you want, like you know, soon after anybody who's hearing, listening, or watching, they can just uh, do it right after the episode, and they will realize that it works. So there is one technique that I would like to share. You are capable of giving a command to your subconscious mind. Most people do not know that they do not command their mind before sleeping, because that is the time when the critical filter between your conscious and subconscious is missing. that critical filter when our brain is in theta state you know when we are just about to fall asleep so we are you know half asleep and half awake that moment give a command to your subconscious mind suppose example wake me up at 5 in the morning anything like that and you have to command you have to sound like you are commanding it to your subconscious mind and you see if that happens uh trust me when i say this all i have been waking up at a particular time from the past entire uh, one year without ever having to put an alarm i just command my subconscious mind when i want it to wake me up and it does that it is an unquestionable servant so these are the two receptor signs anything that you want to tell your brain right before you fall asleep or soon after you wake up soon after the moment after you wake up these are the two times when your brain is in theta state and that is when any information that you provide it is going to make it happen So that is one thing that I would like uh, for everybody to try for themselves, and they will realize what they want to do with it going forward. Interesting. I might have to try that myself. 
Uh, so uh, again, we're I mean we're gonna have everything linked in the description, but just before we get to the seven questions, uh, the title of the book is uh, the the best we said the best way out is in or what was it again? The only way out. Oh, there you go. The I, only I, way. I just showed to you. This is the book. There we go. Beautiful. The only way out is in. Yeah. Cool, nice. So uh, available on Amazon, you said? Yeah, it is. It's on Amazon. It's on Flipkart. All right, cool. So make sure you guys check that out. All right, so we're gonna get into the last segment here. The seven questions, same seven questions we always ask, with the purpose the purpose of humanizing the guests. You know, we ask the same seven questions so that everybody remembers that we're all humans at the end of the day. Uh, so you mentioned they're getting out of bed. So Kamal, first question: What motivates you to get out of bed every day? Uh, what motivates me to get out of every day? Um. I'm always looking forward to the beautiful things that will happen in the day because now I have made it a habit uh, to plan my day in advance. So I plan my day first, and that is where it happens—the manifestation thing. So that is what excites me. I want to see if it happens like I'm planning it. Awesome, awesome. I think that's a good piece of advice there to plan your days. Like not even just not yeah. even like a step by step, but like, hey, I want to get this done or you know i want to be productive i think it's a good that's a good piece of advice. oh next second uh do you have any advice for others whether it be uh in your position or just general life advice i mean the whole podcast has kind of been advice but maybe just a quote or a line or something a mantra that you say to yourself i think uh, the same one i would like to repeat that i just said gratitude is the greatest multiplier start uh, you know practicing gratitude you see huge difference in your life all right, cool. Uh, can you tell us, number three, can you tell us the first time you ever felt a real feeling of accomplishment? I think uh, none of my promotions at work ever got me that feeling. I had that feeling when I was first able to manifest something that I had desired. It, it felt crazy. I had goosebumps. It felt like, oh my God, I did not know that, uh, you know, mm -hmm. a human could be that powerful. That was the one. All right. Uh, so, do you have any goals at the moment that you'd like to share with us? Obviously, uh, selling more books, getting the message out there. But any other goals that you may like to share with people? At present, my goal is uh, to write more because now I'm following in that, uh, finally in that phase where I'm not going back to a corporate jo job anymore and I'm trying to do more of writing and following my passion because I love to write and read. So uh, I want to work on another book. This one is related to the mind. I want to work on one that talks about spirituality as well. Those are two different aspects of the same thing really. So my goal is to be able to, currently it is to be able to finish that second book and share the wisdom with everyone. Amazing, amazing. We're looking forward to it. Um, how... Has your, this is one, two, three, four, number five. Um, how has your experience in life shaped who you are today? I mean. I think uh, everything that I have experienced in my life has only taught me one thing in general, to be kind and humble. You never know what another person is going through. So to remain kind is what I've learned from my experience. Awesome. And the last two questions, the deepest questions, also the shortest questions. Number one of two, Kamal, what do you love? Mm, 
what do I love? My entire life. <laughs> I really love my life. Good answer. Uh, okay, last question. Last question is for Kamal. What are you afraid of? Myself. I sometimes feel that uh, the only one who is able to make me scared is the bad version of me that I might not like because everybody has the way we started this episode. Everybody has the light and darkness within them. I'm only scared of the darkness within me. I just keep trying to make sure that I do not let it take over. Amazing. Yeah. And again, I'm telling you, you need to read Carl Jung because you you speak exactly like him and you don't, and I don't even think you're aware oh, of well, it. I haven't it? heard of the guy, but yeah. I would love to. I would that, really and what you're referring to there is what Carl Jung calls the shadow, which is the shadow is in all of us. You know, it's, we are, we are the, we're a makeup of both the shadow and whatever we perceive as the light. Yes. And that's, the paranoia that we feel about other people is truly the paranoia that we know about ourselves. We know that we're capable of evil. That's why we're scared of the evil that others could commit. But the truth is that if you focus on the evil, all you see is evil. If you focus on the good, all you see is good. Simple as that. All right, but thank you, Kamal. Excellent way to end. Uh, any just last remarks for the people before we do a sign-off? Um, just thank you to everyone who's listening in. Just try these concepts for yourself, and you will see what I'm talking about. So... Uh, just stay kind, stay happy, and keep practicing gratitude. Awesome, guys. So hopefully you enjoyed the conversation as much as I did. Once again, thank you to Kamal for coming through and sharing her wisdom and her knowledge with us. I mean, a beautiful story from an amazing person. So I think if you guys let us know, like and comment below, let us know what you think about the conversation, and give us your two cents, man. Let us know what you think about this. But yeah, as always, guys, everybody out there, take care, be safe, and peace.